Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, my name is Philip Brandon. I'm the pastor here, and Brad Ratledge just led us in worship, and so we, we thank him for doing that this morning. A um, couple of things. Yesterday, we were able to give food to 35 families in our community, so it was about two to three weeks of food, so that's great. Um, I just want to thank everybody, not only the people that organized, went shopping on Friday during the week, got it ready to go, but also the people that brought the food to the church and donated their time to go get the food. This was truly a church-wide ordeal. Um, yeah, there are, there are some people that, that um, made sure that it happened correctly, and uh, one of those is, is Angie York, who um, is incredible with... Uh, with doing stuff like that. There were several women as well, Ellen Miller and Norma, and when you start making this sort of deal, you're going to miss somebody. But the point is this, it's amazing to see the body of Christ come together and do what Jesus called us to do, which is feed the people who need food. That is one of the things he called us to do. So 35 families is pretty, pretty um, incredible. Um, several of the families were, were not that not all of them were grateful, but some of them were really touched by the food that they got. Um, I would say over half of them thought that they were just going to get a little basket, but they got enough food to supply their family throughout the holiday season and probably into January. So that was a real good testimony for our church in this community. And so just wanted to thank you uh, for doing all that. Um, second, what was Second. You probably covered it, didn't you, Seth? It's great to have Seth on board. He probably covered it in the announcements. What I would like you to do is just don't get up. Just turn around to your neighbor and welcome them to the service. Just sitting down, just turn around and say, hi, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right, we are in a third part of a four-part sermon series. Um, the first three of these, however, is really one sermon together. If you're new here today, the first two parts of this sermon is, uh, you can find it online at farmingtonbc.org, or you can go to our YouTube page, our Farmington Baptist YouTube page, and watch it there, um, either one of those places, to catch up with where we are now, if you wanted some kind of prequels to this. Today we're, we're in part three, and so um, if you are visiting, it's going to seem like you're just jumping into something, but hang on, you'll get it, you'll get it, you'll, you'll catch up really quick, at least with this particular portion. So with that said, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin reading with verse 8, with verse 8. Now, the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2 is the birth of Jesus. Um, he was born in Bethlehem. Um, he is in a, a, a stable. Um, it, it's, it's amazing how many different variants that we have of this, this stable that he was in. Some people think it was a cave. Um, some people think that it was some type of wood structure where you kept your animals um, historically, houses in that day had an, had an upstairs and kind of a downstairs, and if they didn't have two stories, they had one story, and one level was a little bit above uh, a lower story that was dirt, and the upper story was actually where the family slept, but the lower story, story was where they kept their animals. 
So it could be that the Lord Jesus Christ was born in one of those situations in a house somewhere. The house was filled, and he was actually inside of that house, and he was born in, in that area of the house because there was no room for them in the house. Um, in is not a word in the Greek language. I don't know if you know this or not. There were really no ends back then. Um, there was not days in. You know, there was not Motel 6. There was no lights to leave on for you. Nothing like that. And so what you did was you went into town and you stayed with your family, you stayed with your friends, or you paid somebody to stay, you know, in their house. And so he more than likely was, bo- was born in a house in their stable area is, is probably what really happened. But, you know, we, we really don't know. What we do know is he came to earth and he was laid in a manger. That's what we know for sure, and that's what we're thankful for. So with that said, verse 8 says this. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I don't... I don't know about you, but if I had lived back then, I would have really wanted to be one of the shepherds. It would have been cool to be a wise man and travel, but I'm not a real good traveler. I don't like to get out of my own country. I I like to stay in my own little arena, right? I like to go to Disney World and go down to Florida and, you know, do do mission trips to Alamance County. Um, But... But, but anyway, you, you, I, I don't really like to travel that much. I'm, I really like to go to my house, to church, and to my house, and maybe a couple of restaurants within town that I like to eat at. I don't like to travel. So the wise men have never been, other than their money, the wise men have ne- has never been something that I would like to be. But the shepherds, to be there on that night and actually have angels appear to you and tell you that Jesus had been born, somebody that you had been looking for, and to be able to go see him as a baby would have been absolutely incredible. It would have been a great moment. And so these shepherds um, actually were able to do this. Someone asked me one time, do, do I really think that this really happened? And yes, I really think this happened. Uh, this makes total sense with what God is trying to do in the world, for him to be sent as a baby in flesh and bone. So it, it's really amazing. Um, we humans were not the only ones that would be excited about the birth of Christ. Angels were excited as well. In fact, in verse 13, it says, a multitude of the heavenly host were praising God and saying. A multitude means a lot. Like more than they could count, the shepherds could count. 
and it just totally filled the sky. I don't know why nobody else saw this. I don't know if anyone else did see this. I don't know if people in Bethlehem saw a great light outside and wondered what that was, and then when the shepherds came in and told their story, they said, oh, that was that bright light. That was that sound that was made. That was those voices of praise that was happening. Maybe that happened. I don't know. But I do know that they saw a multitude of angels that were absolutely excited about Jesus' birth. And this is what they said. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Glory to God in the highest. You know, you read that word glory, and you wonder, what does glory mean? And I would have to tell you that glory is a very complex word. It is not very simply defined. For instance, I can't just give you a one statement about what glory is. I almost have to take the time, and we almost have to take the time, to dive into Scripture and really see what it is. Because glory isn't something that you can necessarily define. It is something that you have to see as an artistic portrait of who God is. God uses the word glory to not get us to understand a definition that we can look up in Webster. God gives us the word glory, and these angels give us the word glory so that we might understand in, in not only a knowledge way, but in an experience sort of way, what that actually is. And glory is an ambiguous sort of word for that reason. So what is glory, and what exactly does it look like? Well, in the Greek language, doxa. Say that to your neighbor, doxa. Doxa is the word for glory. That word doxa is a very complex word, very complex. In Hebrew is kadod. Say that to your, to your neighbor. Kadod. Yeah, it's kadod in the Hebrew language. That is also probably even more complex of a word than the Greek language of doxa. So we find for the very first time the word glory, not for the very first time, we find this word glory in a, in a way that we can figure out how to experience it so to speak, in Psalm chapter 19, when it says these words, the heavens declare the what? The glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his hegni work. What this is saying is, if you want to understand what the angels were talking about in glory, go out at nighttime and look up at the heavens and just contemplate the God that created them. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. I love space stuff, right? I like, I like to look up in, in outer space. I have a telescope that I've used so much that I've broken the little things where you focus it, so I have to tinker with it now to get it focused on what I want to look at. My telescope, don't think it's an expensive thing, because it's not, but it, I can actually see the moons, the little lights around Jupiter with my telescope. I can see Saturn's rings with my little telescope, and, and it's really a cool thing to behold. When you get to the moon and you start looking at the craters, it, it's really a neat thing. Um, I have yet to see the American flag on the moon, um, so I don't really know if they went there or not. I'm just waiting to see if I could see the flag of the boo before I'm really confident that they went there. But nonetheless, there, there's my telescope. So I love, I love to look up in the sky. And you can't look up into outer space 
and think that all of that happened by accident and really believe it. Really believe it. All that stuff up there declares that God is real. Here's a picture of the Hubble telescope. Um, I've actually seen, because we went to Florida, I've actually seen one of these, not the actual Hubble telescope that's up in outer space, because it's up in outer space, and I haven't gone there yet. So, but, but I've seen one of these. This is a fascinating piece, piece of equipment that they use to, to, you know, look at the universe, right? So here's a couple of those pictures. She's going to scroll through them. A couple of those pictures of outer space. So they say that um, novas are clusters that are 180,000 light years away. Because, of course, 200,000 light waves would, would be further, right? Right, so they say 180. They say that novas are 4 billion miles across, moving at 200,000 miles an hour. They tell us this stuff because I can understand that. Right? 200,000 miles per hour. Huge things are going to move across the galaxy. If you look at these images, there is something in us that says, ah. Right? There's something in us that says, oh my goodness, that is huge and that is vast. There's something inside of us that says, I can't get there. I can't get to the moon. There are a few people that have, but I can't make it to any of these images that our Hubble telescope is showing us. I mean, we like to imagine, right? We, that's why we like Star Wars. They, they travel at light speed to different places in the universe, and it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far, far away, and the story is just now getting to Earth. You know, it's that sort of deal. We, we like Star Trek and everywhere that they go and all that kind of stuff because we like to imagine that we can get there, but we cannot get to any of this. Can't get to Jupiter, can't get to Mars, I know they're trying. We, we cannot get very far out of our environment here before we have to come back. There are things that we need that attach us to this world. And we look up in outer space and we see that God's glory is declared. The angels here are saying this. The birth of Jesus Christ is so big that it is more glorious than what you see when you look up into outer space. They are saying that it is so huge and so significant that everything that you see up there, every planet, every, every time you see a moon phase, every time you see anything fly across the sky and we say, oh, that's a shooting star, every time that we see that, the angels are saying, this is a bigger event than all of that. The heavens declare the glory of God, but so does the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The supernovas declare the glory of God, but so does the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he trumps all of it. There is something glorious and big about the universe. And if you really take the time to look up at it and really think about it, and how we are just flying around on a little bitty rock and there's all this other stuff out there, it makes you feel very, very small. 
And once you get there, where you feel very, very small, you then realize how big God really is. It is an amazing thing to see. So with that in mind, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Um, 33. We're going to begin reading with verse 17. Now, <clears throat> Moses, in this passage, is up on a mountain, and God has given him the Ten Commandments and the law. That's all the background you really need to know for this. And in verse 17, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know your name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. Your glory. Show me your glory. I would have to say that this is something that I'd like to ask God to show me. This is something that, whereas I can't necessarily give you a definition of what exactly it is, I want God to show me his glory. I want, to, I want God to be here. I want God to know that I am worshiping him. I want to somehow see his glory. And here's Moses saying, please show me your glory. And this is what God says to Moses. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious to. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. In other words, you cannot see my glory straight on, is what he's saying. See, the heavens declare the glory of God, that there is the glory of God, but it doesn't face-to-face -face show you exactly what that glory is. There's a reason for that. There's none of us in here that could put up with it in our current state. We could not behold face-to-face -face God's glory. It would literally kill us. It would literally cause us to shiver. It would literally do something to us. And we do not have the capability in this fallen state to look God in the face and all of his glory. We don't have the ability to see it straight on, God and his glory. And so he says, I'll show you my goodness. And he says, um, you can't see my face. You can't see my glory straight on. For man shall not see me and live. That is what that verse means. You cannot see me. You cannot see my glory and live. So verse 21. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. In other words, look, I'm going to allow my glory to pass by, but you're not going to be able to see it. I have to protect you, God says, in the cleft of the rock 
while I pass through because you cannot be in the 100% presence of my glory. It is too potent. It is too awesome. It is, it is more than a human can, can take in our current state. That is glory. It's more than all of that. And then this is what he says. Then I will take my I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Now, back is not literally God's back. <laughs> Didn't know this until recently. Back is an expression that says you can look at where I just was. Okay? That's what it means. You will be able to see, I will pass by through and you, I will take my hand off and you will see where I just was. That is all of the glory that you can, that you can handle at that particular point. So he hides Moses, God passes, I'm not God, but I'm demonstrating. He passes by and then Moses is right here and he lifts his hand and Moses is able to see where God just was. That is all of the glory that he can handle. When you and I look up into heaven, we are seeing where God just was. We are seeing where God just threw the stars into space by his mere breath. We are seeing the presence of God. He has already passed, and the heavens are declaring that God was there speaking everything into existence. Glory is seen for the human where God just was. And that is all we can handle. I desire to see where God just was. And if that's all that I can handle, that is all that I can handle. But that is what I want. It happens every time you baptize someone. Every time. I held Kyler today. By the way, he's in second grade. He is the cutest kid. I'm, I'm not saying anybody else's kid is cute, but he is a cute kid, okay? So don't send me letters. Don't get upset. He's a cute kid. I mean, it's just a fact, okay? He goes down into the water, and immediately you realize this is part of God's glory. He has done a miracle. I can't see that miracle inside of Kyler. I can't see the change that has happened, but I know that that new life is inside of him because he confessed his sin and asked Jesus into his heart. It is something I cannot do. I can't do. I cannot fling a star in the space. In the space. I have trouble sometimes unscrewing a light bulb in my house to replace it. I don't know why they get stuck. You know, and then you're like, oh, oh, and then sometimes they break and it's just a mess and then I go get pliers. I mean, I can't even do that, much less throw stars into space. I look at a tree outside and think, oh my goodness, I can't do that. Only God can do that. I don't know a human that can create a tree. I know a bunch of them that can farm them. I know a bunch of them that can plant a seed and then it grow up into a tree, but I can't, I can't do that. The farmer that takes whatever seed it is to plant the tree cannot cause that seed to die, cannot cause that seed to sprout, cannot cause that seed to grow. 
Why? Because that is a demonstration of God's glory. It's a demonstration of God's power. It is a demonstration of who he is. When the rain comes down out of the sky, I cannot produce rain. I have produced some floods in my house before because a toilet has overflowed. I can do that. But I cannot produce rain. I cannot even dance well enough to cause it to rain. I am white. I have to tap my foot to play the, to do anything and keep rhythm going. I am not that way. I cannot make rain to happen, but every time it rains, it is a demonstration of the glory of God. Every time you see a lightning storm, it is a demonstration of the glory of God. Every time you see the sun rise and set, it's a demonstration of the glory of God. Every time you see the moon, it is a demonstration of the glory of God because no one else can create that stuff with just mere speaking it into existence. You have just seen where God was. And the angels understood this. And they understood what Jesus was in the flesh and what had happened. And they say, glory to God in the highest. Peace has come to the earth. Wow. Wow, an amazing thing, an amazing thing. So, this week, while my wife was working, because I had to do this without her, I went to Food Lion, okay? And this is a video of that experience. It has sound. Unmute the Mac. Okay, great. So that's gingerbread houses at another level. Right? Gingerbread houses at another level. Um, I was going to do a couple more, but, but as I was doing it, I don't know if it because I was filming or what, because I was really trying to be kind of quiet about it. Some of the store employees started circling me for some reason. I think it, it picked up all the camera or something like that. Um, I did go back a little bit later, and the one that is with the, um, the bread rolls was still there. Yesterday it wasn't, but somebody, somebody figured out where that was, I guess, a little bit later. But there's your gingerbread houses. Um, so I've, I've had a little fun with this gingerbread house thing. Um, but I'll tell you this. It is not 
anything like a real gingerbread house. It's funny. It's laughable to some people that have the same sort of humor that I do. Some people think, what in the world is he doing? My kids just saw that. They're going to be doing that at the grocery store. I know, I know, right? But it's not the same thing. Here's the point. You and I are going to glorify something. You and I are going to glorify something. The problem that we have is we glorify things that do not deserve glory. At Christmas time, it is the newest toy, it is the newest TV, it is the newest Apple product, it is the newest this, it's the newest that, it's how we decorate our tree, it's having the favorite food over it. There are certain things that we go after sometimes, and that is our focus at Christmas time, and that is what we are glorifying. Sometimes it's, it's just different things in our life. We go after uh, athletes, and we glorify them because they are so great. We go after cars, and we glorify them because they're so great. We go after musicians because we glorify them because they're so great. And every single time, those things let us down. There is nothing that you have ever glorified that, that aside from God, that you've given glory to that hasn't let you down. Some of you used to be NFL fans, Loved all of that, but they have let you down, right? And so you're shifting to something else because deep inside all of us is an emptiness that needs to be filled with glory or something to glorify. The Bible speaks of this clearly. It speaks of this clearly. We are made to glorify something, to look for something to fill a void within our life. In this regard, I'm talking about glory, something that we can look at, something that we can appreciate, something that we can look up to. But we have the ability to go after the wrong sorts of things. We glorify TV programs. We Glorify Netflix. We cannot wait for the next Star Wars to come out because for some reason that's going to, we glorify Star Wars and Luke Skywalker and I hope they don't do anything to, that just sort of deal. And it's all just empty. It gets empty. It does. Yeah. Carmen's your favorite? Kylo Ren, yeah. Yeah. You're the dark side, aren't you? Yes, awesome. So, so we glorify these things, but ladies and gentlemen, listen. God did not create you to glorify your cat, your dog, your tree, your garden, your car, your house. He did not create you to glorify the next Christmas gift, the next thing on sale at Walmart, the thing you can get off of Amazon. He created you to glorify your creator. And it is only when you grab a hold of that and you sit back and you think, oh, he is so big and magnificent. It is only when you truly worship in that particular way that you actually are in awe of Almighty God, that you actually get to the point where that void inside of you is filled. Christians are pursuing 
a lot of things that have nothing to do with God's glory. The latest worship song, the latest worship style, the latest whatever it is, we pursue this stuff and it just does not fill us because we are designed to look to God and God only and seek him out. Our desire is to not get the next greatest thing to fill the void. Our desire should be to find out where God is and glorify what he is doing. The angels understood this. Jesus had come down, and in their minds, it had to have been an amazing thing, or they would not have said, glory to God in the highest. They would not have offered worship. They would not have went down and announced it to shepherds. They would have not come in multitudes to do it. They understood that glory is something that you seek after, not for yourself, but to give God the glory. You find him and you glorify him. You look at what he's done, where he has been, and you glorify him. You take the time to look up in the stars and say, man, I could not have done any of that. God is awesome. He is great and full of glory. Glory to God in the highest. This Christmas, before you open your presents, you need to read Luke chapter 2 and get attached to the glory. You need to pray and thank God for sending his son into the world in the flesh to give you a gift of eternal life, to give you entrance into heaven to take the blinders off of your eyes so that you can connect to something that fills the void inside of you. You need to take the time to glorify God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for coming here and recognizing where he has been. Amen? The glory of Almighty God is meant to be experienced and it can only be experienced as you seek the presence of God.